we were in negotiations investing in real estate they're winning they're making money hey what's up everyone welcome to the real estate educators podcast where we provide the education you can build on i am your host kevin amalsh this podcast is a little bit different than anything i've seen or heard or witnessed before in that we not only focus on real estate investors but on the content creation behind that. Look, I wanna help real estate investors and real estate influencers make more money. And if, if you like what you hear, or even if you don't like what you hear, please leave me a five-star review. Oh, and tell your friends. And speaking of friends, I have one of my closest with me today, years and years of a relationship. Matt Pilmore, you, um, you started VIP 20 two years ago. We just figured that out right before I hit record. I can't believe I, I knew it's been close. I know I knew it was around 20, but 22 years, man. Um, real estate uh, investor, real estate educator, financial education. You've kind of done all of that with a lot of success. Very popular YouTube channel. I am excited to interview you today and learn from you. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Kevin. Great to see you, man, as always. Well, let's get started. So yeah, let's dive, dive 20, in. 22 years ago, you started this little company, VIP. So walk me up to the point that even got you interested in the financial planning world. What's the background there and then and how you got started? Yeah. So man, half, half a lifetime ago, started in the residential mortgage industry, um, kind of was randomly invited to, to get trained in that world and, and sort of reluctantly accepted that invitation a couple months after it was offered. Um, and a guy by the name of Larry King, of all people, was the one that brought me in and sort of took me under his wing and trained me on what I consider to be very much an art form, which is, you know, understanding financing. And it was, it was in that space that I started to really understand more about real estate, of course, and how credit scores played uh, such a substantial role in, in your ability to, to make money in real estate, how to really create wealth. Um, at the time, this was, if you think back to the early 2000s, it was sort of a free-for-all, wild, wild west of, of residential financing, especially residential. Everybody and their relatives were lenders, right? Or brokers of some kind. And we were looking for ways of, of separating ourselves from everybody else. So it was at that time that we started to offer classes and it wasn't quite as popular then as it is now, especially with the evolution of social media and online education. Um, and so it really started to separate us to some extent. And we would drive people into various basic sort of 101, 101 content uh, surrounding real estate, surrounding lending, surrounding credit. But it was during that time that we started to say, hey, listen, how do we how do we sort of niche down on this and really specialize on a subject and credit was the subject that fascinated me the most because i was you know this young young guy at that point early 20s had done everything i could to mess my credit up in college uh you know i was thrown credit cards my first year on campus um treated it like free money had no education formal education had had uh, uh you know left me uh, deficient of what I needed to know. And so, uh, you know, I thought if I just moved enough times, they would forget I owed them. And as it turns out, it's attached to what they call a social security number that um, I, you know, I had to, to basically 
resolve. And so once I began to see how important credit scores were, I started to take that knowledge very seriously. So I, I invested at the time, a considerable amount of money. I still think it's a lot of money today. We spent $50,000 to apprentice under some of the pioneers of the industry at that time. One guy by the name of John Alzheimer was one of the original within the FICO credit scoring system. And then a guy by the name of Edward Jamison was widely recognized as one of the leading credit attorneys throughout the nation. And under their leadership and guidance, we became some of the um, you know, most well-known educators on the subject of credit scoring. I became a certified FICO credit scoring expert and was starting to get brought onto a lot of stages to teach on the subject and started to do a lot of radio appearances, um, a couple of uh, television appearances. And you know, by the age of 25, I was considered you know, an expert on the subject. And so we, we started teaching people about credit. That then evolved into a, a baseline understanding of what they call mortgage and debt acceleration. And that has now adopt, been, uh, there's a new name for that uh, on the, in the online world called velocity banking. And so we, we did everything we could to study that. It, it, it kind of, it, you know, it was tough for me to wrap my head around initially for probably the first six months. And I would just stay up late at night and run numbers through spreadsheets. And finally, it just sort of clicked. And uh, I started teaching people about it. And everybody was kind of the same first impression that I had, which was, this almost seems too good to be true. You know, how do you take a 30 year mortgage paid off in five, six, seven, eight years instead of 30? You can say literally north of 50% of the interest costs on the mortgage by doing that. And so we started introducing that into education. And the uh, trajectory at that point just became sort of uh, massive, massive momentum. And, and by 2011, we started teaching all that stuff online. And, and the rest is kind of history. Started coaching people how to do all of that. Um, but all of that blended together to create really what I teach now, which is a bit of a hybrid of all of it. You know, how do you utilize what I call the three C's of banking and borrowing? It's credit, capital, and cash flow, right? How do you maximize your credit in order to leverage other people's money in order to grow your cash flow as quickly and safely as possible? And we do that in a way where we can truly make the most of the banking system versus being sort of a pawn in their game. So that's, that's really how we have sort of summarized all of this is focusing on cash flow maximization. And so that's, that's what VIP is doing now is right. helping just improve financial lives. And what's, what's interesting about, and you didn't mention this, but what's, what I find interesting about your program or your philosophy in, in this space is without impacting quality of life or changing the current quality of life. So you do this all with tools that aren't necessarily making people spend less or be more conservative or frugal or any of that. That's true. Um, I mean, I'm not the guy that's, you know, I, I always consider this sort of the 202 version of Dave Ramsey, right? A lot of people are reluctant to approach the Dave Ramsey baby steps of, of finances. And, and that's because there is so much sacrifice involved. And he talks a lot about eating beans and rice. Well, look, I'm 44 years old. I mean, I'm not about to eat beans and rice. So at the end of the day, we want lifestyle preservation. Everything that we teach about is in order to enhance lifestyle. It's a life lifestyle design recipe. However, there's a caveat to that. And it is very much that only money that's borrowed is being used to grow wealth, to increase cash flow. 
And after thousands of coaching members for the last 15 years now, I've seen such a huge pattern of financial irresponsibility that it would be, it would be unprofessional of me and irresponsible to not at least acknowledge that people are not willing to, to really take charge of their finances the way they need to. Most people are not managing a budget. Um, and when, when they hear the word budget, they're automatically associating that with restriction okay. where, where really it's just a tracking mechanism. It's just a matter of knowing what's coming in and what's going out. Most people don't even know. They're just keeping an eye on transaction history, right? They're just opening up their bank statements or their accounts online and they're seeing what the balances are and they're not necessarily paying attention to the categories and really deciding if something is absolutely necessary. It's the discretionary spending that gets squandered so easily on stuff that a lot of people don't even know what it was for. I had a conversation with a guy in a coaching session yesterday that had $43,000 worth of credit card debt. And he's, he's going, but I, I'm doing pretty well though. Right. And I said, no, you're doing horribly. I said, and when I asked him, what was the 43 spent on? He go, he said, I, I honestly couldn't even tell you. It wasn't for, you know, remodeling this bathroom or, or purchasing another vehicle because I had to get to work. It was, it was just stuff stuff. And it's so easy to be a consumer now. It's easier than ever. And we can treat ourselves to these sort of daily Christmases. And it's exciting. You know, that retail therapy, the endorphins that come from random packages showing up at the door. I have so many packages showing up at my door when they show up. I don't even know what's in it. I'm like, oh, what, what, oh what, did I, what did I order? I don't I even remember. What I ordered. So, so, so I think when, when it comes to, uh, discretionary spending, lifestyle wants versus the needs. What I think people have to do first in order to get a handle on their finances is they, they absolutely truly must sacrifice to gain the assets that will pay them the money to afford the junk. I don't buy the junk unless my assets are buying it for me. So people prioritize incorrectly. You need to prioritize the assets first, and it will lead then to the affordability of the stuff that really won't matter to you much longer than, you know, moments after you receive it. After that, it just sort of blends in with, with, with the rest of the crap you own. So, um, so I think that's the biggest thing here is just getting a handle on your finances and creating a budget. Uh, but yeah, lifestyle optimization is absolutely something that we specialize in that I think sets us apart. I remember you might need to help me here, Matt, with the uh, year, but it was around 2010 when you and I first interacted. Now we knew of yeah. each other before that, but and you probably remember this because it was, it's come up on stage several times, but dude, I did not believe you. I was like, this guy is like scamming everybody. He's like, exactly. there's no way this is true. And you were, I kinda, you were a big skeptic, big, big I, skeptic. I was a big skeptic. And I, and I like that too, you. because I'm a big skeptic myself. And I appreciated the fact that you weren't just, you know, recklessly accepting anybody to come in and provide information to your platform, to your community. I had a lot of respect for that, but yeah, I did I feel that. a little bullied at first. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh boy, you know, I'm going to have to get through the gatekeeper here, but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were definitely, you were definitely uh, not entirely convinced initially. 
Yeah. And I, I just remember that I was like, I did not believe you. And, and I, I looked into it and I, I studied it as well. I went to your, some of your classes and I was like, holy cow. I like, for me, I could, I could see it. I could see how the concept of what you were teaching actually worked. And, and we started having you up on stage and doing videos and now we're doing podcasts, but it's, it's just been a fun ride. And, and I, I, I like to see the people that you meet from our platform have the success that they're having. So I just thought I'd share that with you. I really appreciate everything you've done for me for the, and my group for the last 15 years. 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 Yeah, Yeah. I know. I, I, and vice versa, man. I mean, it's obviously a lot of mutual respect. We've grown a great friendship from this. It was not a friendship first where I was getting some sort of preferential treatment. It was very much a professional introduction, one that required a lot of convincing. And at the end of the day, it developed into a friendship and we, you know, we've spent a lot of time together. We've had you down to the, to the house in, in the mountains and you, you know, we, we've, we've really, really um, gained a lot from each other. So I appreciate that as well. Um, but, you know, let me tell you a quick story because here's one thing I think would help your, your audience. And, and I know that we want to talk about how people can use their knowledge in order to build a brand. And I think Absolutely. all this will tie in together at some point, but, uh, and I hope I don't get too far off track here. So stop me at any point, but I wanted to kind of share something that I think is really interesting. If I could try to summarize how these concepts have served me in just a couple quick examples. One thing I did about four years ago was I tapped into the, the equity position of a, a property that I own. And I recommend everybody do this. I've always suggested that there's no such thing as having access to too much money. And hopefully this story proves that, right? Now, if you abuse the access to that money, you can get yourself into a tremendous amount of trouble. Again, the consumer spending versus investing. But I went out and got a home equity line of credit for $250,000. With that home equity line of credit four years ago, I used uh, a portion of it to put 20% down on a $610,000 purchase at the house that you stayed at in the mountains. The intention with that house was to turn it into a short-term rental. I wanted to monetize it. So after spending additional capital to invest in the furnishings, the decor, the accessories, uh, you know, things like a hot tub and so forth, I ended up getting it on the market and listing it. And and I've been renting it now for four years. And I share that property now for about four months of the year. During those four months, I can generate 80 to $90,000 in revenues. Now, from those 80 to 90,000, I still have to pay a cleaning crew. I still have to pay for maintenance on the property while I'm gone. That means hot tub cleaning, lawn mowing, and so forth. When it's all said and done, I'm left with somewhere between 65 to 75K. That's before PITI. I then tackle my PITI and uh, I'm you know, paying for utilities and so forth, Wi-Fi and all that. I end up left with about 35 grand. Okay. So, so it's a PITI for those that don't know, that's just your mortgage payment, including your taxes and insurance. Okay. That's right. And that also includes the principal and interest payment on the down payment for the HELOC, right? Because I borrowed that money. So I had no money out of my own pocket. Literally, I've done this completely with other people's money, right? Using another property. Okay. So let's say you have a primary residence the home you live in, most people have equity in those homes these days because of how well the real estate market is done. So if you've purchased that property at least a handful of years ago, you're probably doing okay as long as you haven't continued to consolidate other debts and continue to refi and pull money out. 
in my case, I had paid the property off using techniques that I teach on my YouTube channel. People can check that out, vipfinancialed.com. Uh, you can go in and check that out on YouTube and you'll see how we do this. The formula that you and I have been talking about, but you don't have to have your, your property paid off to do this. I paid mine off, got a HELOC and I, I borrowed the money to pay the down payment, which is an eligible form of down payment. A lot of people don't know that a home equity line of credit actually counts as eligible down payment funds. So without any money out of pocket, I was left now with about $3,000 a month in cash flow. Well, alongside that, you know, with my day-to-day -day earnings and proper budget management, I, I'm able to pay that HELOC back very quickly. And in 2020, in December of 2020, so coming up on three years ago, this coming December, I was, uh, I saw an opportunity to start uh, another business. And I borrowed $50,000 from that, that same HELOC, right? Took $50,000 and purchased a 50% ownership of a sewer company in the same mountain town that that house is in. It's with a, a mostly passive involvement. So from the beginning, I spend about five hours a week for the first two years. And in this third year now, I've been spending about two to three times that amount, 10 to, 10 to 15 hours a week. Uh, the original investment was 50 grand. In October of last year, coming up on that, uh, you know, two, uh, one year coming up on one year, uh, we went heavy. We went out and added an additional $750,000 worth of debt leverage, borrowed the money, bought a bunch of equipment, skid steers, excavators, trucks, vans. And our, my, my cash flow from the beginning on that has been 72,000. In February of this year, we increased that between my partner and myself to now $85,000 each. In just monthly distributions, we're taking, we're taking $7,000 a piece, right? So $84,000 a piece. I haven't spent a single dollar of my own. This is exclusively from one home equity line of credit, right? So today, with just that one home equity line of credit, I'm now at a total of about $135,000 in annual revenues between the sewer business, the short-term rental, combined with the one rental property I got the home equity line of credit on, which still cash flows a thousand bucks a month. So I'm now at about $135,000 a year. And that's with everything covered. And PS, the best part about all that is I still get to use the house in the mountains for eight months of the year. And on top of that, that property is now valued at somewhere around 1.1 to 1.2 million. Well, I bought it for 600, right? So there's an amazing amount of opportunity that can happen if you just understand the basics behind those three C's I'm talking about, right? Credit, capital, and cash flow. The art of proper leverage. And I think this is where the Dave Ramsey concepts get it wrong and the Robert Kiyosaki rich dad, poor dad concepts get it wrong. I think there's a road in the middle where you can still despise debt, unlike Kiyosaki, who continuously tries to teach me that I should borrow, 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 and earn a speculated rate of return that exceeds the cost of the money I'm borrowing, which the keyword there is speculated, right? Because if it doesn't work out, I'm in big trouble. The number one threat to me is the debt. <laughs> Versus Dave Ramsey, who says, never borrow, just save up your pennies and eventually you can buy a house. It's just that easy. 
Buy it free and clear. Pay cash, guys. Just pay cash for that house. No problem. Well, come on. I think both are wrong about halfway. And if you blend the two, you can find a way to accelerate the elimination of debt. You can pay things off very, very quickly. All that debt, the $800,000 that we've borrowed to grow this, this sewer business now, which by the way, will hit over 2 million this year. And we are on our, our way to, to open 35 locations and be a $105 million per year sewer and drain business within the next five years. And it's all because of a $50,000 original loan from the home equity line of credit. And everything else has been self-financed and self-cash flowed from the business itself. So I just think that as long as people recognize, you know, that 800K will be paid off within the next 18 months, free and clear. So we'll be a debt-free business once again. And what will we do? We will continue to borrow more. We'll go out and buy another round of equipment, another round of machines, another round of tools, and we'll borrow and we'll finance and we'll get them all for nothing. And then we will just accelerate the elimination of that debt based on our own repayment terms versus the contract or traditional amortization schedule that we originally signed for. So that's sort of the overarching summary of this, where I think real estate in general is the number one tool to really get that jump start. But with that extra cash flow, it now makes buying real estate so much easier because I'm not relying on the real estate itself where I'm going out and buying, you know, single family long-term rentals and hoping that eventually it moves my lifestyle needle. Because the fact is, and you know how that is, man. I mean, when you're buying rentals and you're getting three, four, five hundred bucks a month in extra cash flow on each one, but every so often you end up with this huge maintenance issue that you have to do. Sometimes it just doesn't feel like you're making any money. Sometimes you're it not. feels like it's making you broke and you're like, what the hell am I doing? And you're getting calls from tenants and it's just, it can be tough. So I always recommend get your short-term net cash flow solutions in place first and solve that equation. And then focus on the long-term net worth investing like long-term buy and hold real estate investing because it'll make it so much easier. You don't even really have to, yeah. I don't even have to be good at real estate. No, so- I love the story, Matt. And you're absolutely right on everything you say. The, the concern I have with, with your story is most people don't want to buy a business and, and have to go work in it for 15 hours a week. Now, it's going to be fantastic for you, but I certainly wouldn't want to do that. But I do like to, to buy passive income streams, right? And you could, you could do that. Investing in our fund, for example, or investing, exactly. I mean, like your, your property, um, it's not totally passive, clearly, but you're making a ton of money on it and you get the benefit of using it for four months. So that's a fantastic investment in my opinion. Also, I wouldn't buy the business like you did. Most of our lenders or lenders, most of our listeners probably wouldn't either. Um, so it's really about, they, they, they like the, the real estate investing side of things. And, and I agree with you hundred percent. One of the myths of real estate investing is that you're going to be able to retire on rent. And, and I just don't buy that. But I do think that real estate over time is going to make you rich. You will 100%. get wealthy if you invest in real estate for the long run. You can weather the storms. Um, maybe you're cash flowing better one year than another, but you're going to be increasing in value, decreasing in debt as you move along in your career. So I think a quick way to retirement, <clears throat> quicker than um, 401k, for example, is real estate investing. So talk no to me a little bit about, about that. Yeah, I was going to say, talk to me about your your investing because I know you you've invested in other things and this one little mountain property and and you have a lot of clients that invest in real estate. So tell me a little bit about your experience in real estate investing. 
Well, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes, uh, you know, the, the, the devil's advocate when it comes to this subject. I think that's why sometimes people have turned to my content because I do sometimes offer counterpoints to where I see a lot of the education going with it, with respect to online regarding real estate. Um, and I, I, you know, to try to pretend that a lot of the more traditional forms of real estate investing are passive, I think is misleading. Oh, I totally at, agree with you. At best, at best. Because you and I don't I agree on everything. So feel free to disagree oh, with me on something. But this one we Well, and I, I haven't don't... yet. I haven't disagreed at all. I think it really just boils down to self-reflection, right? So when I'm talking to somebody, I, I really have to know how involved does somebody want to be? Yeah. Because building a real estate business is just that. It, it, it really does require you to treat it like any other business, as I'm sure you would agree with. Totally. Um, I love your fund. I think investing in someone like you is about as passive as it's going to get, right? So if you're the type of person that says, my week is full, right? My daily responsibilities consume everything I want to commit to my earning potential. I don't want to invest other time to make more. Then somebody like you, and especially you, is an absolutely perfect outlet. And I have you know, encountered a handful of examples like that along the way, but they're not real common. And the best you can do is still pretty good, but it doesn't come anywhere close as I know you would agree to somebody that's willing to commit the blood, sweat, and tears necessary to actually be involved in a proactive business. The potential of a proactive business person is unlimited, unlimited potential. Right. But if you're getting into the 20 or 30% returns on your investment, you're talking too good to be true, unheard of. If you want to be passive, right? If you don't want to be involved, it's, it's not going to happen unless. Or a high level of risk, like a lot of these syndications exactly. you're hearing about, right? You, I mean, right. those are 20, 30% returns on paper. And then all of a sudden, interest rates are going through the roof. People are starting to turn their properties over to the banks and their investors are losing everything. That's right. Yep. It's, it's, it's again, risk tolerance would be the other half of that equation is what is your risk tolerance and your, how much passivity you're, you're requiring. Right. Um, so I think that's a spectrum that you have to really understand where you fall. How much time are you willing to commit? Um, because for me, I look at the potential of building a hundred million dollar business and having to commit 15 hours a week as pretty lenient. Yeah, for sure. Be lenient, right? So it's like, well, okay. So we're not at the same level. You don't want to put in 15 hours a week. Great. But don't expect the, the, the serious upside potential otherwise. And if you want too good to be true upside potential, you're probably going to be swallowing a pretty good deal of, uh, of the risk associated with it. And hopefully it all works right. out. Fingers crossed, right? Right. So, yeah. so I think that's where people need to try and determine where they're at. But as far as investing in general, I just don't leave anything off the table. And again, I, I don't want to detour away from real estate because real estate is truly my baseline. And real estate has given me the tools to make sure that I can maintain an open mind about any type of industry. If you would have asked me three years ago, and you probably didn't even know I was you know, building a, a sewer business for the last three years, even though we, we are great friends. At the end of the day, small town drain, you guys can look it up. Just look up small town drain, Colorado. And you can see for yourselves the type of brand that we're trying to build over there. At the end of the day, if you would have asked me three years ago, if I was 
you know, dreaming of building a business in the number two industry, I would have, uh, I would have laughed at you because that seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous. But the bottom line is real estate gave me the flexibility, the ability with the capital I wouldn't have had otherwise to make that investment within a pretty short window of having to decide. And so while it, it's not what I expected, and it does require a little bit of my time each week, it, uh, it is all thanks to real estate that I'm able to actually get in there and, uh, and build something else alongside my real estate investments. I also do a significant amount of cryptocurrency investing to answer your question. Uh, I've done multi-unit, primarily stick with, with residential. I've not done much in the way of commercial at all yet. Um, and so will I expand into that? I imagine so, no question. It's just a matter of trying to juggle everything at once. And it, it, it does, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces as you grow. Um, but a, again, first things first, get your financial affairs in order, run a proper budget, create awareness of your finances and do that diligently. Do that every single week, if not more often. Understand how to access capital go out there and get things like home equity lines of credit, get things like unsecured personal lines of credit, get things like unsecured business lines of credit. If you have an entity set up and you have a history with it, at least two years can access unsecured revolving lines of credit there. And people often, again, confuse that with bad debt. First of all, it's not even debt unless you use it. It can sit there unused forever, mm -hmm. just like your credit card. But the second you need money, cause you see the perfect opportunity the money's available to you, yeah. okay? So there's no such thing as having access to too much money. So get as much liquidity as you can possibly get. And I think most importantly, really manage your reputation in, in every area, right? Do what you say you're gonna do when you say you're gonna do it. And I think that's so important. It's, and that's how you gain, first of all, a great credit score. You sign the line, you say, I'm gonna pay. I'm gonna pay every month. There's minimum payment, I'm gonna pay it, pay it on time. That's step one, but also hold up your end of the bargain with the people around you. It's because of networks like yours. It's because of other people in the real estate community that I am where I am today. And why would they even continue to maintain a relationship with me if I didn't do what I said I was going to do? And so don't burn the bridges at all. Don't burn the bridges with your banks. Don't burn the bridges with your network because those people oftentimes will hold the ticket to that one or two or three things that are truly life-changing for you in the future. And, uh, and so I would say really build your brand. And I think that goes into what we want to talk a little bit about today yeah. as you gain experience and you, and you want to share your knowledge with other people. Uh, it is, you know, we live in an era now where there's a lot of people that would benefit from learning from other people. Um, and so, and I do want to get into that's that. Big. So you know, I've got a, I don't want to, go off the, the rails too far here, but I had to mention this. I have another friend that's in the sewer business. Yeah. And he tells me um, there's a gigantic show in Vegas. You're probably familiar. And it's all the sewer business, right? And it's okay. like a big giant party. Everyone's getting wasted and drunk and hanging out and having a good time. And they call it the shit show. Have you, have you heard of this? <laughs> No, but dude, we are 100% going got, to that next. You got to go to the shit show. Amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. That is amazing. I don't know if part well, of your, uh, your growth strategy is M&A, but. Yeah, we're adding um, some decals to all of our trucks because we've got some big trucks now. Big we, got, we just bought this new box truck, you know, 
And again, I just laugh at all this stuff because I never really thought I would have like, totally. I have, you know, you know, I have the five acres up there. And so yeah. we're sort of using it as a, a parking lot for our fleet, you know? So now I just, uh, me, and, me and my buddy, Dave, I don't know if you know Dave, but um, he's a pilot for United and he came up to the house the other day and we're kind of sitting around drinking a couple beers and we're like, ah, what should we do today? Like, let's go mess around in the excavators. So we just <laughs> jumped in and start digging holes for no reason and moving rock. And it's such a blast, man. We're, we're out there trying to kick a soccer ball around with the, with the excavators, but I get these box trucks and these vans and these other trucks. And so that's another, that's another branding that we're going with now is we fix your, you know, the shit with the shit emoji, the little shit emoji. So that's kind of our, our, our brand in town is we fix your poop emoji. Um, and that's, that's, uh, you know, there's so much you can do to play with it. It's that's a riot. Man. The branding is so fun when you work in the poop biz. Well, yeah, if, you, uh, if you're if you serious about growing in, in a merger or an acquisitions in the cards, I would definitely be going to that show. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's great. And I actually have a, a coach and this, this kind of goes along with what we were saying as far as branding. Um, but social media is just such a powerful thing now. And, and I'm a part of all the sewer and drain, you know, community groups on Facebook now. So my feed is, is pretty funny when you're going through, but there was a guy that randomly posted, Hey, my name's Jordan. I had tremendous success in the drain business. I don't think most drain companies have any, you know, have any idea what potential they're sitting on. Uh, I recently sold my business and I'm happy to help out anybody that's looking for help. I jumped at that because I Hell love yeah. coaches. Most people were in the comments. I couldn't believe it. I was taking screenshots of the comments. People are just hating on this guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm immediately like interested, right? So we link up and this was about a month and a half ago. He's literally committed two to three coaching sessions a week for us at this point. This guy sold his business two years ago for $40 million. Okay. If oh, you're yeah. not out there asking for help from somebody like that, you are a fool, a fool. And this guy has set us up with several resources at this point that have changed the trajectory of where we're going with our business by so much that it is truly a game changer. I'm literally on eBay buying this guy thousand dollar gifts at this point. You know, I know he loves golf. So I'm buying him like autographed, you know, Jack Nichols, Nicholas stuff. And it's, you know, it, it is really important to not only build up your credibility and your worthiness by way of reputation and, and borrowing strength. Again, this all kind of ties together with that, but also to just be extremely appreciative when you're getting stuff like that. He hasn't asked for a penny and we have offered him money over really? and over and over. He's like, I don't need your money. I'm not in this for the money. I don't need you. The guy drives a Rolls Royce. He doesn't need my money. Yeah, dude, I, care about I get it. We've he offered really him an ownership. Back. Yeah. And we offered him ownership interest in the business. He said, look, I already have a non-compete by way of the business I sold. So maybe in five years we can revisit that, but he's like, I I'm not doing it for any of that. So again, guys, I just think really relying on brand management is key. And that's part of why I said, look up small town drain, because you'll see a hundred percent five-star ratings are almost at our hundredth review. You can go to campwoodbv.com. That's my short-term rental in the mountains. You can check out the reviews there. Just hit my 102nd uh, five-star rating at this point with that house. Everything is in an attempt to exceed expectations, undersell, over-deliver. And that is, I think, the biggest point to our conversation today with brand development, with overall wealth creation. If you just did that, you're halfway there. If you just do what you say when you say you're going to do it, you're halfway there. 
The Real Estate Educators Podcast is brought to you by Pine Financial Group. Pine Financial Group is a private lender specializing in value-add bridge lending for real estate investors. This is accomplished by raising private money from individual investors and lending that money out in short-term real estate loans. Pine operates one of the coolest public mortgage funds on the market because it brings consistency and security to your investment portfolio without giving up on returns. The fund pays its investors a flat 8% return with monthly distributions. There is a low minimum investment and no lockup period. That's right. You can request all of your money back at any time without any fees. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street with the Pine Financial Group Public Fund, PFG Fund 5. Find out more at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. Well, let's talk about building your personal brand because you, you've done such a phenomenal job of that. And I know it was a lot of work when you were starting. You were, you were hitting the road, man. You were traveling, getting on planes, teaching live events in person. Right. You got away from that and really focused in on your YouTube channel. I haven't looked recently, but you're, I know it's six-figure subscribers, right? You're well over 100,000. Yeah. Let's talk about the YouTube channel, man. Like how has that impacted your business getting coaching students, getting whatever you were looking for out of it? How has it, how has that helped you? And then how the hell did you do that? <laughs> uh, well, YouTube has been a life changer for me overall. Um, initially it was because I was traveling and teaching live audiences, groups like yours, real estate investment associations all over the country. And we would approach them hey, we've got content we think your group would benefit from. Can we at least give you a little preview? Would you be consider, you know, consider us showing up and, and presenting? And we were doing, and by we, I mean, I was traveling and speaking. Um, you know, our goal was 15 stages a month. And so when you're doing that and you don't really, you're not on tour, right? So it's not like, okay, we're going to go from San Diego up to L.A., up to Sacramento and hit San Francisco. And then we're going to shoot over and, and kind of make our way across the country. You're going from Chicago to Cali to Virginia to Texas. So you're on planes, you know, every other day. And it's a really quick road to burnout. I was so sick of it. And I had done it for years before I finally said, this sucks. And thankfully along the way, I knew that what I was teaching on stages was a little tricky to absorb just through my own personal experience of hearing a lot of this stuff. I was like, a lot of it's really common sense. And I would reword things to try to help people understand it a little easier, things that helped me understand it more quickly. But it would still take time. You really had to dig in a little harder, especially before you're going to make a commitment to sign up for a program, which is what we were selling. We were selling coaching. And so I wanted YouTube as a way to guide those live audiences back to a place where they could see that content over and over again. And that's really the only reason I set it up. That was back in 2011. By 2016, I was, I was done with the road. I couldn't do it anymore. So uh, I finally decided to give YouTube a full-time effort. And so we went from 60 videos after five years, average of one a month, to, I don't know what we're at now, probably 800 videos um, over the last seven years. And so you know, we're still doing three to five videos a week. Um, I'm still recording them myself. Uh, I took about a year and a half hiatus. I was traveling the country 
uh, full time for six months in an RV um, and, and just kind of hitting that bucket list time. But now I'm back at it and I love it. I mean, I'm, you know, I needed the break from YouTube as well because it is, it is tough to create content. It takes a lot of effort. You have to be very diligent about it. I do have a team that helps me out, small team, branding team. They do the editing. They do the thumbnails. They post. So they do the descriptions and the optimization of those videos. But the channel has grown to, yeah, just shy of a quarter million subscribers. And it's been great. But because of the successes that we've had in our other businesses, the coaching service has been reduced. So I used to have a full team of coaches and we would do as many as 30 new, coach, new, 30 new coaching memberships a week. Now we're down to five a month total. That's our maximum capacity. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that you shrunk it. I knew you were shrinking it. And I think you're, yeah. are you doing all the coaching yourself now? Exactly. So I don't have a team of coaches anymore. So it's just five is the most, my partners, my business partners will allow me to coach because again, our profit margins on our other business ventures and income streams is so much larger than me going out and committing a year of my time for 10 grand. Yeah. $10,000 is just not enough money. My real estate agents make, make a lot more than that. Right. And I'm not wasting their time for a whole year. So these guys, you know, it's, it's just a limited bandwidth. I'm addicted to it. Admittedly, I've always been obsessed with the coaching side. I love the one-on-one. I love that relationship. I love seeing the results that come from being an idea person and contributing an extra set of eyeballs to somebody's puzzle. So I love it. It's, it's truly what I enjoy the most, but again, I've got partners I have to worry about. I've got other businesses. I can't commit what I was. So five, I can manage and it's still sort of part-time. Um, and that's our capacity. Anything more than that, we turn down. So we're very selective about the coaching relationships that we, that we approve because I can cherry pick the ones that I know are going to get the best results. And again, that's a reputation preservation strategy, right? If I'm not, if I'm not taking people on that, I'm not convinced I can have enough of an impact on to make it well worth the cost to participate, then the chances of people being disappointed or unsatisfied with the outcome is slim to none. And therefore I can then back it up with a refund guarantee. So if somebody comes back and says, Hey, I'm not happy. I paid 10 grand. Well, how much do you think it was worth? Seven. Here's 3,000. I don't even have to fight over it because the only risk on the line to me is my time. I don't, it's not like I can lose a great deal of money out of that. If they're unhappy, I just give them their money back. So that's again, why I've been able to preserve reputation. If you're out there saying too bad, so sad, no refunds, all sales final, and somebody's not happy, how long do you think you're going to maintain five-star reviews? You can't, but if you're willing to give money back to people who are unhappy, how often do you think they're going to give you less than five stars? Barely ever, if ever. They may not give you five stars, but they won't, they just won't comment, right? So at the end of the day, I think it's just very important that, uh, you know, we have designed the model that we have and you've used YouTube as a way to drive leads and have drive, driven attention to what we're doing. But beyond that, YouTube has allowed me to, uh, has allowed me to find my best friend. My best friend is a, a YouTuber. He runs Bricks Fitness on YouTube. Fe unbelievable, fantastic guy. We've been best friends now for what, four years, five years, five years this October. Um, Facebook has allowed me to, to meet this coach for the drain business. Social media is just so powerful. I just think people waste too much time on it, right? Just like debt. Debt is so powerful. It's just a lot of people use it for the wrong things. They're buying stuff that isn't helping create wealth. 
So it's all about how you're exploiting the tools in order to gain the most value from it. So are you, are you monet now that you're, you shrunk the coaching down so much, it's probably, you probably have a wait list uh, if I was to guess. So are you monetizing YouTube or what's the benefit of that channel for you now? Well, let's say I get five coaching members a month and they're at 10 K a piece. It's not a bad side income. Oh, right? so I thought it was but, a year commitment. So you're just taking on five at a time. So you, you'll have, I can so have 60, 60. Right. Okay. I see if I'm, and if I'm on average coaching a member once a month and the average coaching session lasts an hour, we're looking at 60 hours a month. Yeah. Right. If, uh, in addition to that beyond, so the monetization, people are always confused about how they're, mo how to monetize. Right. I, I have personally never had a tremendous amount of, of revenue generated through AdSense, which is what Google pays me for views. That's how they're getting paid is through their advertisers. And they give me a small piece of that. Right. Um, something shifted in the algorithm and in the AdSense model where, Frankly, I wasn't making enough in the beginning to really care about digging in and figuring out what changed exactly. But we went from about $2,000 a month, which is nice to get, but you know, small little thing to now somewhere around maybe 700 or 800 bucks a month. I don't know what changed. In addition to that, our view count went way down. This was all since the first of the year of 2023. I know they've, they've, they've messed with the algorithm in some way. We do not get a ton of views. Um, you know, our views sometimes struggle to break a thousand. Uh, sometimes we can get tens of thousands, but regardless, our channel still produces seven figures a year. And it's not because of just the coaching. And it's certainly not because of the AdSense. It's because inside those viewers, if you're providing value and you're targeting a specific type of audience, you're going to end up with people who are extremely affluent. And that's what we've done because we're not focusing on that sort of Dave Ramsey, help me dig out from this huge financial hardship I have. They're already doing well. They just want to do a lot better, right? So they have money, they have good credit in most cases. So those people participate in other types of opportunities that we can discuss on the channel. And that's I'm exactly looking what at do. your channel right now. And okay, so I, ju I just pulled it up, Matt. You two hundred about time, dude. About time, 000. bro. About time, man. How long is it? How long has you know it been I'm since a, you pulled that thing up? I, I'm you know, sad I'm a proud subscriber. You know that. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've really been watching too. You said I haven't been on your channel since you were at a hundred thousand, but no, that's cool. Um, thirty-four thousand views, seventy-two thousand views, two hundred twenty-five thousand views. I mean, right? But if you go to the here's views, a tiny one. It's a ten thousand view. No, no, no. You go to the go to the video tab and it'll chronologically list them from most recent down. There's a video tab. One day you'll figure out how to use this platform, even though you have Dude, you know, hundreds I know. of I have a I have a YouTube channel and I, that's why I'm it's a great channel. Guest. Like, teach me. How do I do well, this? Well, bro, guess what? Guess what? I, I now that I think about it, if we reflect back in, into our history of friendship, you were there for my hundred thousand subscriber celebration video we that's right live, remember at your house at my house that's right yeah yeah that was fun that was fun i think that's one of the only times i ever went live cool man oh yeah yeah okay man your, but your channel's struggling viewers, matt 
800 views, dude. I don't know. We got to figure this out. What's going on? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's the what that's the real power of social media that I'd love to try to convey to people. And I think it's tough for people to understand because so many people, including myself forever, was clueless to how this can really be monetized. But we have business opportunities that we discuss on our channel all the time. And the steps that are involved with determining those business opportunities, number one, involves how much of a benefit to our audience is involved with this opportunity, right? I vet the opportunity, just like you. I go in, Mr. Skeptic, Mr. Devil, audience advocate. I'm, I'm saying, how do I protect my audience at all costs? That's what matters most. Number two, how much am I getting paid? Right? No different than running a, a RIA. It's like, okay, do I want to offer this, this sponsorship to this, this vendor? And if that person has a horrible reputation, go look bad on me. And there might even be worse consequences if things really unravel, right? So there's liability involved. Uh, so you vet them and then I'm getting a cut and I'm going to work out anything between 25 to 50%, nothing less and usually nothing more. I'm going to try to figure out a way to make it residual in most cases. How can I continue to get paid? If somebody signs up for something and there's continual money being generated from that sign up, then I'm going to be involved in that continual revenue as well. So that's how the channel over the years has been extremely valuable to me is by operating as an affiliate, right? So as an affiliate, I learned about affiliate relationships and becoming an affiliate marketer back in 2009. And at that time, I was doing a lot of radio. This was pre-YouTube. And I started telling everybody about myfico.com because myfico.com at the time was really the only place you could get your actual FICO scores. And here I was teaching people about credit. And I'm like, look, in order to understand where your credit scores are without it hurting your scores, because you can pull it yourself, is to go to myfico and pay for it. And there was no way to get them free. This was before the banks offered it. This was before Credit Karma, before Vantage Score, before all these other options. And next thing you know, because of our reach, I'm getting 500 people a month or more signing up and I'm getting out of that cost my FICO was, was charging, I'm making just shy of 20 bucks a piece. And that, all of a sudden, I met almost $100,000 in 2009. I'm like, this is insane. $100,000 off $20 signups. So it was really sort of my first introduction to being an affiliate. And at that point, I started looking for resources and tools that would help my audience. I wanted to be a resource of resources, but I wanted to get paid to do it too. And if you're already paying for it from them, really it just becomes a marketing fee to a company like MyFICO. I'm just a marketing arm. I'm no different than them running commercials somewhere. By 2010, they discontinued the affiliate program. I'm like, oh my God, this sucks. So I started to really look for other things. And now we've introduced so many amazing ops, business opportunities, various resources. I usually don't mess around with a lot of small stuff anymore, even though you can really generate a, you know, a, a decent amount of money, like six figures by doing small stuff. The stuff that we're talking about on our channel now can often be tens of thousands of dollars to participate and they spend it. And the people that are, that are uh, spearheading the fulfillment of whatever they're buying, they're then going to pay me my 25 to 50% as a marketing fee. So that's how I use YouTube. I don't need a big channel. I don't need a lot of views. I don't need AdSense. All I need is to bring great value and that's key. You have to have great value. There has to be something there that makes it worth them watching. 
And if there isn't, you're never going to get views. You're never going to build an audience. You'll never get subscribers or followers or whatever you're after. It won't happen. You have to have something that's worth it. So content richness has always been extremely important in, in, in my approach to teaching almost to the, to my detriment. Sometimes people leave my class. I can even see like the point where yeah. eyes just gloss over. They're like, my brain's full. I'm done. So I think sometimes keeping it simple, stupid is, is good advice. And I've never been great at following it, but I do think if you're going to do anything, go heavy on the richness versus the blandness and keeping it too simple. So, so how do you advertise? Like, how do you get your first hundred thousand? What's what, give me one or two secrets here. How do you get your first hundred thousand subscribers? Yeah. That's <laughs> ah, a piece of cake. Uh, you know, I think, um, the bottom line is you really have to have a video that hits, right? And if you go to my most viewed content, you'll see there were a couple videos that took off. I've got one video that's maybe two and a half million and another video that, you know, maybe another video that's approaching a million. Those are the key pieces of content to drive your, your growth, right? Because once you have something that's really hitting the algorithm and YouTube saying, oh man, People are really engaging with this, right? People are clicking on it. People are watching it. People are commenting. People are liking. At that point, they're going to continue to show it in the suggested column on your YouTube page. And the more YouTube suggests it, the more people watch it. If it's never being suggested, nobody's going to see it. So you have to play into what YouTube wants. And what I did was I just obsessed over content surrounding growing a YouTube channel. I would get into the biggest channels that talk about the subject and I would just binge watch video after video, everything from setting up proper lighting, setting up proper audio, setting up uh, proper camera angle, proper equipment, how to keep your videos the right length, how to really trigger that algorithm the right way. And eventually I ended up getting a video that went semi-viral. And then all of a sudden I'm at 500 new subscribers a day for months and months and months. Nice job. And, uh, and so I would say that the key is keep putting out more, keep making great content and keep uploading it, make it easy to hear, make it easy to watch. Again, if you're using a bad mic and I don't even know how it is on sound quality in here, but I, you know, I just don't necessarily care as much as I cared when I was really trying to build the channel. Right. But I I'll usually have two mics. I'll have this lapel on just to get a secondary audio and I'll have the, 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 uh, the mic stand that way I have two forms of audio because have you ever tried to listen to that audio where it's like that hollow you're in a room and it's like Mm -hmm. echoey and that may be how mine sounds in here, but ultimately you want the best quality. So people don't bounce. You want to give them every reason to stick on that video for as long as possible. The number one, uh, the number one component to the algorithm is watch time. The algorithm has to see people clicking and staying on your video. After that, a lot of it involves engagement. So are they commenting? Are they liking or even disliking? By the way, YouTube doesn't even show dislikes anymore. So a lot of YouTubers don't care if you decide to dislike the video. They'll even say like it or dislike it. Just do one or the other because it's some engagement. And the more engagement there is, the more YouTube's going to say, hey, you guys should watch this. So those would be the two things is make sure that you're 
promising something in your thumbnail and title that you actually deliver on inside the video. I've heard that. And, and, and of course, you know, you got to cut to the chase eventually. You just don't drag it out. People, people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. We're a society of instant gratification. And you've got to factor that common sense into the content that you're creating. But if you, almost everybody has a specialty or more than one, something they're better at than most of the people they know. Those are the types of things you're going to want to be teaching about. And I've seen content created by virtually every single type of topic you could possibly imagine at this point. And we're talking massive channels, huge followings, and enormous income potential as a result of that. So you may not be a specialist in real estate. You might just be interested in it. You may want to invest in it, but it may not be what you're capable of teaching about. It's one thing to know something well enough to do it. It's a whole other thing to know well enough to teach it. I'm sure you would agree with that, right? So not everybody sure. who can get, on, can get on stage and just say, hey, let me tell you everything about real estate, even if they're investing. So figure out what you're great at. And that's how I would start to focus content creation. And if nothing else, just to get practice, because there's nothing that's a whole lot more uncomfortable than setting up a phone on a tripod and clicking record. And <laughs> it's such a weird thing. It's still yeah. weird for me. It's always yeah. been weird and it probably always will be. So, so you use uh, your iPhone for a lot of these videos. So I've had everything. I mean, you should see the collection of equipment that I've acquired along the way. I've spent a lot of money. And what's interesting about it at this point is I'm down to basically zoom like this. I'm going straight through my camera on my computer. Don't have any special camera there or I'm going straight through these amazing smartphone cameras that are available on the modern phones now. Um, all that other equipment's just collecting dust. And my, my lighting, I'll use a little ring, uh, these little ring lights, not the big ones. I have the big ones. I've spent four or 500 bucks on them and those are all collecting dust. Now I have this $20 <laughs> clip-on. Yes, I got rings, right here. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. And they're great. They're great. They're mobile, easy to carry around. So I have abandoned all the expensive stuff. Uh, this lapel was, I don't remember. This one might be whatever, 50 bucks or something, but you can buy microphones for $10 now. And the quality of technology has gotten so good for so little that there really isn't any great excuses not to have quality content um, if you're going to create it. Just create it and have the equipment, spend a little bit of money on it and just make sure you're using it. Don't sit in a dark room. Don't sit with the window behind you, right? These are not hard things to understand. Uh, very basic, have lighting on your face and probably don't wear hats that shade your face like this. And like we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yours looks, your lighting actually looks great. No, I'm, I'm kind of in this dark room, but um, yeah, you know, it's, if you're really trying to grow, you, you just want to try and follow some of these simple rules. Well, I don't want to keep you, man. I know you got a, a lot going on and your time's super valuable. I can't wait for you to come out to Denver. Um, I don't know if I'm going to catch you in July or not. I'm climbing on 14er. So I'm going to be out of town. But September, you're coming back in town for 18 months or so. Exactly. Um, we're going to have to hang out, man. Whether we yeah, come yeah, down yeah. to see you, you come up, whatever it is, let's get together. Oh. Yeah. Are you, I love, uh, are, you, are you friends with Gil? Brandon? Yeah. Uh, I don't know him very well. I've met him once. Okay. Oh, okay. Got but it. I'd love to hang out with him. Let's do it. Yeah. No, he's, he's a great guy, man. I just thought you guys would really get along. I thought you were already friends, but uh, you would be if you, you know, if you got to know him. I, I see you guys really clicking. 
well, maybe we should do that. But I love having a beer with you and just talking shop. I always learn so much. So looking yeah, forward well, to it. I appreciate right? you having me on and uh, and we'll we'll, we'll 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 reciprocate on our channel too. Let's talk about some content, have you come on and, and share what you've done as well. I think it would be super valuable. So we'll connect you with the guys and figure out a schedule for that. All right. Sounds good, Matt. Just remember 50%. Just remember. <laughs> I heard you. I was taking notes. <laughs> I, was I love you, man. My winks along the way. Those were, <laughs> I meant them. Well, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much uh, for having me on, man. Yeah, we'll thanks talk again. to you soon, Kev. We'll yeah, talk to you later. Soon. All right. Bye, everybody. Take care. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh yeah, and tell a friend.